Hello, I'm Melody Asani. I'm Julie Burns Walker. Today, we welcome you back to the Butterfly Forecast. This episode was really such a treat. We were joined by our producer, Sam Fragoso, who also has his own podcast, Talk Easy, which we highly, highly recommend. And it was such a pleasure to talk to him about so many things today. Sam is just such a rare, one of those rare individuals that as soon as you're in his presence, you feel seen. And so we wanted to talk a bit about what makes Sam do what he does? And you'll get to hear about, is his work work? Sure doesn't feel like work. Sure doesn't feel like it when we're with him. Yeah. We hope you enjoy this. What's up, Sam? <laughs> you two are both staring at me. I know. I mean, I'm so not used to actually looking at somebody in person. Is it okay? Oh, it's lovely. You're in my apartment. Which is also lovely. Also, just to be here in person for me, and I'm used to seeing you in the little window. Am I better in the little window? No way. It's so great. <laughs> It's also so special to be with you again. I mean, starting a second year of the podcast and then getting to talk with you again feels like kind of a special, magical Mm -hmm. start off, you know? Year two, how do we feel about year one? Year one was great. I feel like it was such an experiment. It was kind of a passion thing that we just toyed around with. And it was like, what if we do this? And I think it really exceeded our expectations just... Neither of us are really personalities per se. And so trying to navigate how we do this while being ourselves and just talking to people that we love about things that we love is fun. I think also we didn't have a conceptualization about what the effect would be, as funny as that is. I think we just thought it would be a wonderful idea and bringing people in to feel like they are not alone and they're part of this conversation. One of the biggest surprises, I think, for both of us was the amount of um, the responses we got when people were confirming they felt so included during the pandemic and it was like the highlight of their week. I was like, oh, it's not just us having a wonderful conversation. Yeah, so cool. Our nickname for each other is Smooshy. And I've always told Julie, I'm like, if everybody in the world had a smooshy, there'd be world peace. Like we'd all have support, you know, or that like one real friend. It's like you really don't need as much as as you think. And so now going into season two, it's kind of cool that our big overarching thing is the quest for world peace and what that looks like. So part of world peace, I want to get this right, part of it. Maybe is that you two are offering some kind of surrogate friendship <laughs> to people listening? Is, no. that, is that is that part of? Am I missing this? Because I think I think that to the point of feeling alone, clearly podcasts make people feel less alone. Yeah, and you two have both done that. Well, you actually do that so 
beautifully, yes. which is part of why you're here. I mean, that's the cool thing. It's that there's so many ways to get to world peace, right? And so I think we're curious as to all the different ways, like what does that look like for people? Because everybody has a different view of it. Everybody has a different pathway or sort of vehicle of getting there. And so the point is like seeing everybody's like, what's the purpose of you doing your podcast? I never thought about it in the context of world peace. Mm -hmm. That seems almost too big of a scope for me. But I mean, the purpose, I was thinking about this because you texted like, uh, this is what we're going to talk about. And I thought, oh God, last time it was death. <laughs> All your favorites. Now it's like about me, which is almost worse than talking about death. <laughs> when I started the show in 2016, it probably was for that reason you were talking about, which is I had done enough interviews to know that at the end of the interview, whether it was in print or on a microphone or, or in front of people after like a Q&A, that people could see themselves on the page on a microphone as two people reveal themselves in front of you, that people at home, wherever they are, could see some of themselves in that conversation. I think that was part of why I started this. There's a whole other more complicated reasons for it, but I think spiritually that's probably why. Hmm. But I was wondering, you remember we had a conversation once when we were at lunch and you were talking about how when, like your whole life, that people just open up to you spontaneously. They just tell you personal things or what's important to them. And so I was wondering, one thing I notice about your podcast is that, honestly, Sam, I don't have a favorite episode of yours because they're all good. I love how you create an environment, almost like a world, where whatever the person is about, they're welcomed. Mm -hmm. That's rare. Is that the way you are in life, or is that the way you are in your podcast? You two know me in life. What do you two think? Yes. I guess you don't know me that well. No, you do. You definitely create an environment. Well, I think in real life, you create a, an environment more so just by being yeah. And on the podcast, it feels like a tool, like you're using one of your tools. Mm -hmm. So it's different. It's a lot of research. So I think like that's part of the world building is that it's deeply informed by an understanding of someone's life. Like I'm coming in with, you know, 20 pages of notes before I ever sit down with them. But I don't know. Yeah, I think that what you're talking about, it does happen. Part of the inspiration for the show was that, yeah, I would keep like traveling and wherever I went, I would have these absolute strangers, whether it was an Uber driver or someone working a bar or whatever the case was, that over time they would reveal themselves. So odd, it happened yesterday. Like I was at a furniture store trying to find a dining table, as I was telling you about. I, I still don't have one. And uh, just so everyone knows listening, <laughs> Sam does not have a dining table. And I couldn't land on one with, with the guy. And, and I I stayed there long enough, though, to where I was like, oh, geez, we've been batting around different tables and I'm, and I'm not going to get one. And I feel kind of guilty. And I ended up guilt purchasing one of these lamps just because I had to buy something because I felt too bad. <laughs> but then as I was leaving, he said, you know, I've been doing furniture for 30 years and my sons 
have a furniture store right down the block. Immediately, I was like, this is insane. You have family fighting, being, you know, they're they're competitors. It's a movie. It's a movie. (laughs) Probably not a good movie. I mean, it could be a good movie. But anyway, so this opens up a whole conversation around his sons and he got a divorce 10 years ago, but he had kids early and he spent his 20 to 30s raising these kids and now... They were married for 25 years, and this is just 30 minutes later. I still don't have a table, but I have this person's story. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why that happens. I am curious, and I think I'm not that interested in thinking about myself that much. Mm. Not that I don't want to. I don't, I don't avoid it, but I'm more interested in Hernandez, whose wonderful story is right over here. Wait, so I have a question because you're so anti-death, right? Like you don't want to talk about it. You don't really want to think about it. And the concept of it kind of scares you. Is that accurate? The thing is, I talk about it all the time. I just don't like to talk you about it. You don't like to. But I can't right. avoid it like death. So are you ever interested in people's deaths? Because you're super interested in people's lives. It feels like you're always just gunning towards like life. But you know, there's a lot of people that are also get really interested in people are more so, I think that's the more common thing where they're more so interested in them after they die. I'm definitely interested in people after they pass. Yeah. As you can see in my apartment, we have a poster of His Girl Friday. There's not a single person who worked on that movie that is alive, (laughs) almost certain. Yeah. I'm like obsessed with you know, most of the music and film books I read are by people who are not here. Yeah. So it's a strange contradiction. Yeah, I am fascinated. Like, just because someone dies, I'm not like, oh, well, they're not here. Yeah. And also, on Talk Easy, not to get morbid, but we have a lot of people on over the age of 75, 80. Mm-hmm. We're not having them on because I think they may die soon, but life is life. Yeah. And... It's a conversation in any any interview I've had with someone over 75, the topic of death comes up. So I, I'm not, I mean, I kind of jokingly run away from it with the three of us because it's a funny bit at this point. But I mean, it terrifies me. So I guess I, I don't like to constantly obsess over it, mm-hmm. but you can't avoid it. I was wondering, because I've had all this time since we had that conversation on that episode, there must be for you the opposite of death, like life is the opposite of death. And so maybe you're just more focused on life, like you have knowing about life. Mm -hmm. And maybe like anything, oftentimes I've made this observation, even when I was a child, that like some girls, they're girls, they haven't even been through puberty. And they're talking about having a baby. Mm -hmm. They can't wait till they have a baby someday. And I remember thinking, we're still girls. What do you mean you want to have a baby? And then I've met women who do that, but I've met an awful lot of females who aren't interested in talking about it, thinking about it, don't know if they'll have a baby. It's not a thing. And that's because it's Melody's not- Melody's raising her hand <laughs> for the listener at home. I can see it. I think, you know, it's like because it's not time. That doesn't mean they're not going to. That doesn't mean they're afraid to have a baby or they're avoiding it. It just means it hasn't happened. And death is supposed to happen at the right time. I think one of the reasons a lot of people have fear of death is because they don't know when it's coming. That's the best part of death. 
What? The best part is that you don't know when, and you won't know when. Hmm. But doesn't that unknown? Like no. Oh, that's great. Then, do you feel like you're living your life every day to the fullest? Look, I think that's that's like something we saw in a Robin Williams movie. I no, it can't be. What if you're not done? It's aspirational. I think you ought to aspire to seize the day. And I, I've never sounded corny. I was like, that's pretty. <laughs> no, but that's what you're talking about. I mean, I think I think what we talked about last time, and I feel the same is. Can you live fully in the effervescent moment you're in? Like, can you can you maximize it? Can you feel it around you? Can you feel the day as it moves and like undulates? That's the goal.、Hmm. But you know, there are days you get an annoying email, or a friend of yours gets sick, or those two are not on the same level. By the way, the neighbor keeps putting trash in your trash can. That happens here a lot. Talking to you, Marty. I hope you're listening to this. <laughs> no, there's there's no Marty. Just just thinking about Scorsese. So I know, but honestly, I hope to live fully. That's the goal for me personally. Probably three or four times a week, I'll get to some point in a day where I think this is all gonna keep going. And if you're not careful, it's gonna pass you by. If you don't make use of it, you're gonna look like a real dummy. So snap yourself out of the Baby cocoon that you're in because of some disgruntled email or some pride or ego, whatever the hell's bothering you, and reconfigure the day for what it is, because it's going to be gone soon. Where do you get that from? I don't know.、Mm. I mean, I was going to say a fear of death、mm-hmm. because that's a huge component of it. But was it something like your mom would say, or your, or you heard? Like you just gotta shake it off. I I so badly want to give them credit for something <laughs> here, but I I don't think I can on the no. So no. does that mean like life is work for you? I mean that's I think one of my big questions I had thinking about you is, you make it effortless for everyone else. It seems, and so is that because no one made it effortless for you? I make it. Effortless for everyone else. You're talking about on the show. On the show, but I get the feeling you do every time I've had a conversation with you from when I met you,、mm-hmm. even before we decided to do the podcast, and we were just being introduced, and we had that lovely conversation. You just made it so easy.、Mm-hmm. You do that. Talk easy. <laughs> Wait, no, it's so true. Even what you just said about、yes. how before you sit with anybody, you have twenty pages of research that you've gone through. And as somebody who's been interviewed before, that is so lovely because then you don't have to. On my end, I don't have to do so much work about teaching you about what you know. But that's part of what we're talking about. I don't like wasting time, so I come prepared because I want to get the most out of the situation. I want to get the most honest, authentic versions of themselves on microphone. And in my experience of doing it. The way you do that is you come more prepared than anyone else who's interviewed them. Yeah, because that way we're not doing a bunch of legwork and explaining that they've done a billion times. Totally, but what Julie's saying or what she's observing, which I think is so brilliant, because I totally agree, is that she's asking, "Did you have that? Did did you have people doing that for you, making it effortless for you, or do you feel like you always have to?" Am I asking that right? You have to be the one that does the work. 
to make it easy for everyone else. Yeah. Let's see. I'm getting a little uncomfortable by the question, so you're probably on to something. <laughs> <laughs> Better than death. <laughs> we have a knack. You're going to avoid us. He's now. drinking furiously. <laughs> <laughs> I have to get specific about what that means to have someone there. Did someone make it easy for me growing up? Look, I'm half white and I'm a guy, so it just is easier for me. want to start there. There's just no way around that. I grew up immensely privileged, immensely privileged, mainly being a guy who's half white. So that I feel like I want to acknowledge and not just as a like, we're in these politically charged times. I just mean it's super easy for someone who looks like me to move through the world. Doesn't mean things haven't been hard. Doesn't mean I didn't have hardships. And when I think back of childhood, yeah, there are some things that were tough. My parents got divorced you know, married to different people and divorced again many times over. And that was challenging. There was some moves from Chicago to California. When I was in high school, that was challenging. There was some, you know, drug abuse stuff, alcoholism stuff growing up. Not me, to be clear. I'm so reluctant to like, exactly. It's like those fire. So you hear that fire? Mm-hmm. That's how I feel in my head right now. <laughs> You're so reluctant to. No, I, I I think there was some shit that shouldn't have happened. Mm. But that's life. You know, you don't get to plan it, and you don't get to rewrite it. So that's what I mean. I feel like what makes life easy for people or easier to navigate because life is life. It's a great big unknown. Not to get all Forrest Gump on us, but you know, you really don't know what you'll encounter and what you inherited. I just mean... I actually do have a box of chocolates in the freezer if you want it. Sorry, go ahead. Well, that's all. I feel like in life, who made it so that you're like, yes, this is what I'm going to do to make, you know, this is where I fit. This is where I'm... So I didn't get this or this or this or this, but I am Sam and I'm really good at this and this, and this is where I'm going to like edge myself towards because i know i feel good in this direction feels like that's my life i think sometimes we want and i know this because i spend like every week unpacking people's lives you want to show the work of how things happen like you want the arithmetic that said you know in in my case you had a childhood where maybe there was a paucity of comfort And so in response to that lack of comfort, you turn to creating comfort. That's interesting. I don't think it's true entirely. Both of my parents are profoundly supportive. They're both absolute weirdos and good, decent people with, you know, true flaws, but ultimately are self-reflective, thoughtful. And I had a childhood where they treated me like I was someone that could and should be heard. Doesn't mean like I got everything I wanted that did not happen. I'm the oldest of three siblings. But I think if I if I can point to something, both of them from the beginning of my like journalism, they both said go for it. And I think that is a level of comfort. What that does to a young person to, to not say to them, Well, that may not make a bunch of money, which it did not. You know, my dad's a middle school teacher and my mom was an attorney. They both came from severe poverty. And in retrospect, it's actually incredible that both of them coming from the conditions they came from, which was dirt, 
when they made something of themselves, it's kind of incredible that they weren't like, hey, 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 I don't know about this film critic business. You need to like go get a job that's going to. But for some reason, you know, you'd have to ask them. They felt like I would find it. But I'm sure there were many moments where they thought, oh, fuck, we should have pushed them to law school. <laughs> Do you see yourself in a lot of the, the lives that you dive into or no? I see it in ev- everyone. Everyone, yeah. yeah. Is that one of your like favorite parts? You know, you don't plan it. It like smacks you in the face. And you like don't know what you're looking for when you're trying to excavate someone's life and put it onto a microphone. What you want is the person to be themselves. And then in the process of them being themselves, sometimes, especially when I'm editing these with our team, I hear the tape like two weeks removed and I'm like, ah, why did I never think about this that way? And like that, it's like a light bulb. Yeah. But you know, you can't get into doing it because you want to like solve your problems. Like I'm, I'm, I'm so anti, like, and I've said this before, but there's a lot of people they make these jokes or like people can't afford therapy. So now they've created a podcast. Like that's not talk easy. Mm-hmm. I've been to therapy. I don't need the show. It is therapeutic for me, but I, I think I sometimes get nervous that people are like, you know, podcasts have become a way of folks working out their problems on mic. And I, I'm reluctant to do that. And that's kind of why I come so prepared so that when someone sits down to listen, I don't want anyone to feel like we're meandering or like it's not considered. Every single thing that happens on the show is deeply, deeply considered. Right. It just feels effortless because you put all that planning into yeah. it. I feel the same way. I think about things for such a long time and the people we're going to have conversations with. Though I wondered with you, and not just the podcast, but like you've had a sequence in your career of what led to the podcast and all these aspects of you are you. Every stage is present while you're having this conversation with us. I just wonder, is it work or is it like a relief? Like, oh, I get to be the real me in my multifaceted reality. I really struggle with this question because what we do on the show or or working with you two and the other shows we do, the films I've made, like it's an incredible amount of work and takes every inch of you, your brain, your heart, your soul. It unfortunately require if it's going to be any good, it's not even a guarantee that it will be good, but if it's going to be, it, you have to put everything out there. I don't know any other way. So it's exhausting and I'm left depleted and worn down, and sometimes I think, why the fuck am I doing this? But I don't know. I especially think after the last couple years, to be doing this, to be paid to do this, I just am so reluctant to call it work. I'm incredibly grateful, and I'm incredibly privileged. And it does so much for my life. It's completely regenerative and fruitful. And so I'm like, I don't know. It's work, but I'm like grateful enough for the work that I can kind of keep tricking myself to keep doing it. Like I I enjoy it enough. There's enough, I'm getting enough out of it to where that, that feeling of fatigue, you know, I can get past it right now. Maybe, maybe in 10 years, I don't feel that way. 
Yeah, I love that. And if you were, you know, I'm fascinated, as you know, by what people are. Uh, so regardless of the job you place them in, I love that if you take a person, put them anywhere, they still are them. They're still going to, it may not be the best avenue for them to shine uh, the constellation of what they bring, but they're still going to bring that amazing mystery to it. If you didn't do this and you never had to work again ever, what would you find yourself doing? I would probably be dead. This sounds so morbid, but I believe in distraction. Fundamentally, I believe in distraction. Distraction is not negative to me. I think doing this is a distraction from the inevitability that we are going to perish. The best thing you can do is distract yourself and enjoy and get something out of the moment you're in. I have never heard it that way before in my life. I believe in distraction. I, I think to do anything else, this whole like, you know, people retire at 70 and it's like, I'm going to travel. And it's like, I think traveling is great. Don't wait till 70 if you're lucky enough. I haven't traveled much. I'm looking forward to it and I'm not waiting till 70 to do it. But let me tell you, when I do travel, I'm going to be writing something. I'm going to bring some microphones. I can't help that. I like to engage in the world in that way. I don't dread being in, in the thick of it, making something. I dread some of the other elements of it, the bureaucracy, the legwork, the emailing, the coordination. I don't like that. But yeah, I know people say that and they're like, yeah, if I could do anything, I would go on a beach. And, I'm, and you know, honestly, like you put me on a beach and it's like within the first 30 minutes, I'm like, all right, well, can we get like a volleyball game going here? Like I want to meet some people. I, I'm not like that. I'm just not. And it's just how I am. Yeah, because you think you'll die. If you no, no. And I, but, but I'm not restless like that. I don't, I don't mind. I like meditating. I like watching movies and sitting still. I like going for walks and not listening to anything. It's not, I'm not, I hear people who are like, I'm restless and I'm a thrill seeker and it needs to be more, more, more. It's not that. Mm. More, more, more is not it for me. It sounds like you just can't help but to want to be more of you no matter where you are. Maybe, or, 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 have, or, or experience more of other people. Yes. Yeah. You know, after you've spoken to so many people, you would be like, I'm so done with people if you were done. But what if it's like an intrinsic part of what unfolds the next awareness you have while you're here? That's part of the way you learn about the universe is through people. And they represent this portal. That's what I notice uh, in your conversations, no matter who you're talking to. You always find that portal where they don't just reveal what they did, but they reveal who they are. That's the goal. It's amazing. I love, I love that you know that about yourself, that it isn't age-related. In terms of people coming on? or No, you. You don't want to wait till you're 70 before you travel, but even if you travel, you're like, I'm going to talk to people. I don't begrudge anyone that says like, hey, you know what? I put in my fucking time. Yeah, I'm 60. Yeah. I'm out. That's great. But that's because they want to be out of the thing that they're in. Yeah, you don't. I don't. Yeah. I have no interest. Yeah. And if it's not this, it will be something else. I'm a deeply obsessive person. Yeah. Well, that's interesting to me because I've personally been 
you were saying that it takes everything out of you and that you're super tired. I've personally, even through conversations with with um, Smushi, like the difference between when you're doing something that you love, you, you're giving it everything you have, but at the end of the day, you're like a good tired, like a, okay, I emptied myself today. I emptied everything I had and gave it all to this thing. And it's a different kind of tired than doing a job and coming home and just being done. You know, you're tired in a different way. Because I, I used to feel tired in that way where I gave it all I had. And then my work, the nature of my work changed. I really think what happened is that I grew and started taking on more things. And then I think I've gotten to a point now where when I get home, I'm done. And it's not a good tired. It's not like I gave it all. It's like, oh, I did all this stuff I really didn't want to do today. Because you think you've taken on things that don't actually serve you. Well, yeah, it's moved me away from my creativity, which is where I really like, that's the thing I really love. And it's moved me more into business, you know, which I drains me. You know, I need to check out. I need to do something different. Whereas before it was never like that. Like I'd come home and I could even work more when I got home. That's a capitalism problem. Yeah. I mean, not to get so into that, but I, I think it's like if you make something, for most people, it comes from a pure, loving, excited place. If you want to make it a career, it eventually transforms into a business. Once it is a business, you still have the kernel and the thing that you love but there's so many things in running a business that don't speak to the thing you love. Well, also, you're ill-prepared for that part. You know, no one prepares you for the fact that, like, you develop something or become aware of something that you have to offer in the world. And you're like, oh, this is what I love and this is what I would do tirelessly. But what you're not made aware of is what it takes to financially take care of yourself with that thing there you are going to have to intersect with capitalism because it exists you're gonna have to go to a bank you're gonna have to set up a business model you're gonna have to pay your taxes things for myself i know when i started my work i started working in a desert on a mat people paid me corn and floppy carrots Sometimes chickens were left in my yard. Uh, by the way, it's funny. That's how you two both still pay me. Which really... <laughs> how do you like it? We can do grilled. I'm never hungry. You know? <laughs> and then a lot of the people have, if they if they had a poor crop or they didn't make money or they didn't, I didn't want anything. I just did what I did in bulk. So many people came all the time. But over time, that translated to currency and then when I moved to the U.S., back to the U.S. later, I didn't even know I'd be working. And it happened like, boom, like a pop-up McMansion. All of a sudden, I was like, oh, my gosh, I, I have to create a business model, mm -hmm. the structure. No one had taught me how to do that. So it took me so long to catch up. Smishy, you know how many questions I used to ask you uh, because I just didn't know. There's no route whether... You have your own business that you've made or you're working a nine to five. You don't have it all. Like it's not all going to be good. It just, and I don't know, I don't know anyone, anyone that has a perfect, flawless, you know, 
I love my work and my life is perfect and it, the work never demands more of me than I can give. That's I don't know anyone like that. Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, I don't think you can have it all at the same time, but you can have aspects of it all the time. But I do think that there is a way to maintain a part of yourself at all times. But but what I wasn't prepared for was the rigorous amount of work it would take to do that. You know, I thought when I came into my own and I had all my aha moments and I was like, this is my path and this is my design and this is what I do and I'm not going to take the traditional route and I'm not going to be this and I'm not going to be that. I didn't realize that I would have to, that would take on different shape in different points of my career. Like I didn't think that as doing the thing that I love, I would have to tirelessly like defend it or rewrite it for myself. Like at this stage, I'm going to have like, I remember I had a conversation with Julie a long time ago and she was telling me, she was like, you know, you're at your stage in your business right now where you're, where you're like a toddler, you know? And she was like, when you were newly born, you're just like fascinated by everything and you said yes to everything and you did everything and you experimented and and it was fine. And she was like, and now you're in your toddler stage where you're very preferential and your favorite word is no. And I was like, yes, yes, that's exactly where I'm at. When I remember having that conversation so distinctly with you and then I was like, well, next is adolescence and then I'm just going to keep going. I never thought I'd be going through the cycle over and over again. I'm like, wait, I'm at my, <laughs> I'm at my baby stage again. What? Wait, I'm, I'm again, like now all of a sudden I have preferences again, you know? So it's, it's the kind of thing that people don't prepare you for. And I don't know if you guys have shared that experience, but I'm just saying this selfishly because I'm really trying to figure out how to get back to the place where I feel like I gave it my all today. And even though it was hard, I can't wait to do it again tomorrow. And I still feel inspired and, you know, all of that. Based on what I know about you and your business, there's like a, a question I always think about. The biggest problem with capitalism is that and I'm not like entirely anti-capitalist, by the way, I just want to be clear. But I think the biggest problem, it has no cap and it doesn't ever teach people or encourage people to find a ceiling that they could be comfortable with. Right. Especially in this country. It's like Especially extreme, in this country. extreme. Yeah. So it's like there's never a moment in capitalism where they say, ah, you know what? Like. You're good. You got a shop and you got a few employees and like you're doing a great job. You got some great partnerships with, I don't know, say Foot Locker and you're good. There's a lot of reasons why that is. But I, I think everyone that does want to start a business or they want to venture out on their own or even if they're working at nine to five or have some other career with the company, whatever, whatever the case is, you have to figure out, and I certainly haven't, you have to figure out what is enough for you. And that's a sliding scale, obviously, and that can keep changing. But I don't know. You, sometimes I think it's good to start getting comfortable with the fact that if you're making something in the podcast space, not everything is WTF with Mark Marin, or or not everything is Foot Locker, and not you know it's like over and over again. You have to keep saying like it's okay to not be the biggest 
thing. Oh, yeah, totally. And that's really hard, but it's really hard to do because you have, if you're lucky, if you're so, so lucky and fortunate enough, you have colleagues, colleagues who are maybe going to have kids, they have health insurance. Like you're not really working just for you anymore. You're creating this surrogate family that you are in part responsible for. So it's so interconnected and you have to keep thinking, I don't know, you have to keep asking the question, is it cool that the thing you're making may not be for everybody? And that's very hard to accept. Totally. I don't think any of us, not any of us are motivated by money. Like it's, I don't think it's enough. I think the big thing here is you have to love it. I mean, you wouldn't do this. You wouldn't be able to do this unless you loved it. You wouldn't be able to give every single inch of it day in and day out unless you absolutely loved it. So it's about how do you get back to that place of love, just like mm -hmm. crazy, crazy love. This is interesting because I, I feel like I have these arguments with my friends or there's this like mythologizing of the entrepreneur that really bothers me because I think there's a lot of people working desk jobs or assistant jobs or production jobs, whatever the case may be, but let's call it a job that is not something that's feeding them and they don't, they don't love it and it's not their career. I think there's this misconception. You know, you hear this all the time from people. If I just had the time then I would do this, this, and this, and I would love doing it. If I just had the money, I would make this, this, and this, and I would love doing it. I think doing something you love is exactly like love, which is to say, it's a pain in the ass. Anyone who's ever loved anyone knows there's days that you don't really feel the love so much. There's days where it dips and fades. Sometimes there's months where it dips and fades. Okay, fine. Sometimes there's years. No, I'm kidding. But I mean, like, I'm, I mean, that's the thing about love. People don't know and I, and I say this from a very privileged place of doing something I love I don't love it every day really I mean some part of me loves it yeah mm -hmm. there's a baseline it's like any kind of love there's a baseline and that's why you see so many new businesses begin and end so quickly so many new podcasts begin and end so quickly it's not just that it's not economically sustainable you talk to people and they say Ah, I want to try this now. There's a disinterest in the long game. And love is long, if it's right. It takes a long fucking time. And there's just a lack of commitment Yes, that is really unnerving in my generation and even my younger siblings. It's not that you shouldn't search. You ought to search. I think the only way to know that you love something or don't love it is if you actually gave it everything. You put both of your feet in, jumped into the deep end, you drown or you don't. And I think so many people do have one foot in, one foot out. Love only works if you give it everything. I agree. I think that's so profound. And I also think love comes with the ingredients you'll need for the next step. And without love, you don't get those next things. So it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, when you stop trying so hard when you don't show up, the magic doesn't happen, guaranteed. I think we don't know what love brings. That's why I think a lot of people cut it off because there are these stages, you know, you were talking about that conversation long ago. These stages come with different medicine. Mm 
They come with different nutrients. So like the beginning of love, sparkly, twinkly is amazing. And that's a great stage. But the assumption is, is if you move on to another stage, you you just died to the previous stage, that it's dead. And how many times have you heard somebody say, that relationship is dead, that something is dead, or that business is dead, but you don't know it. I was talking to Smishi about um, this woman I met who's a multi-billionaires, and she made all her money on her own from nothing. And she did it because she doesn't like being wealthy, but she loves making money. Like she knows how she'll look at something and she gets this look and she knows how to turn it into money from when she was her youngest age onward. And so she looked at businesses that had gone belly up and they were like selling for nothing. Nobody could make anything of it. And she would go and buy them up because she knew what they could become. It wasn't like, I know how to turn this over into a profit. No, it was like, I know how to make this business fly. Now, what did the previous owner overlook? What, what didn't they see? And I think in relationships, it's similar. I think it's so funny. Steve Harvey said to these men he was talking to, he said, you know who the most beautiful woman is? And they were like, no, who? And he said, your ex on someone else's arm. <laughs> So I think it's like when you miss the magic and when you miss that stage of love, it all dies for you. Maybe that's part of the thing we're talking about, finding that in life. And then you're not afraid of death. Death doesn't exist in that space. You don't care because you had that and you gave that. No, I'm going to care. <laughs> I, I, I don't think I'm going to get to a place where I don't care. Mm -hmm. Like I said, I'm not going to know. Mm -hmm. And I'm okay with that. I'm thinking about the Steve Harvey line now. <laughs> you imagining your ex on somebody else's arm? I am, actually. And I, I think that's a good joke. But I think if it is true, I think that's a failure of self-reflection. If that is true, then you're making a lot of mistakes long before the ex is on someone else's arm. But it's a great joke. No, and I also think it's it's a, such a great Tao kind of reflection back about anything yeah. not literally your ex but yeah we really did a full thing this has nothing to do with world peace by the way but we're getting there we're getting there are we yeah take us there yeah please it's that very notion that whatever you do with all that you are is a portal that has a synergy to it we shouldn't quantify it what I do leads to world peace. I don't think it's that. I think it's about thinking about being conscious of what you do showing up is so synergistic that it maybe it's a prerequisite that can lead to world peace. If, right now, we don't even have the conditions. Like, you know, there's moats and there's no bridge down. What would happen if all these things are bridges and the bridges are everywhere so that you show that you put all that you are into it. What do you see that you do, for example, be it personally or on your podcast, like on Talk Easy? First of all, can we just say you have an incredibly eclectic and diverse people that you bring on your show? I love that. 
And so even just that, the fact that you open up these awarenesses in such a diverse group that perhaps no one else would have approached that specific Mm -hmm. group, that means that many more demographics open up, maybe that many more explorations of self story what leads to excellence what leads to that person like that's it that's a prerequisite to world peace Mm -hmm. but i wonder from your vista what does that look like if everyone in the world showed up with like 20 pages of research for every social interaction that would be exhausting i i do not wish that on people like i don't want to replicate the conditions of the podcast in real life i think the basic through line if i'm getting it right Yeah, it doesn't take that much to show up for people. Actually, you know what? It takes a lot. Yeah, it takes a lot. But you can do it in your day-to-day life. And by the way, I want to be exceptionally clear. Even though I've been doing this for a long time, been doing the show for almost seven years, I've talking to strangers in a way that's probably like, if you saw it, you'd be like, what the hell's going on for a long time? There's plenty of social interactions where I'm like, nope, 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 not going to talk to you. You know, no one's a superhero. That's exhausting. You can't, you hope to go through life with your antenna up, but there's sometimes where you're, you're going grocery shopping and I don't really want to hear about Steve at Trader Joe's. Like, I just don't. And I, even though I care, I hope he's okay. So I, I want to be clear about that because I think you can get a kind of way on a show where you where you start suggesting things that are not realistic. And I want to be very clear that it's not easy to show up, but it's a good practice. And it is only going to improve your life and the person you're talking to. That I know. And if that contributes to world peace, that sounds a little grandiose for me. But if it does, I don't know about world peace, but I think it can make people feel less alone. And that's something. Well, do you think that it gives people inner peace? I've heard that from people. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that's the first sort of prerequisite. You have to have inner peace before you can have world peace. Yeah. If it does that, that's incredible. Yeah. That's a big goal. I th- I do think, like I said in the beginning, the reason we read or watch a movie or, or listen to music or listen to a podcast, some part of you needs a reminder outside of yourself that you're not just yourself on an island. Right. Well, yeah, that we're connected in some way. That's what I meant about it being something that leads. Remember, it's not about attaining world peace. It's the quest to put it in our awareness, the connection. Maybe it's just that languaging has like alienated people. Maybe it's more like being connected to people and people are the world, and that is world peace. Well, I look forward to seeing how you two are going to connect to a whole bunch of people in this next year. You have a whole lineup of folks, more to come. You did like 30-something episodes last year. It's a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, I just think what you just said was so cool, Smushy, about how this really isn't about attaining world peace it's just even having the awareness of it somewhere in the front of our minds that it's even just the idea that it could be possible because I feel like we're so disenchanted with the world and where it's been and where it is currently that 
we can't see beyond it. And it's really hard living in an environment that you can't really see beyond. So if by looking at people's lives and by sharing our connectedness and sharing each other's stories, I know for me that it gives me a lot of hope. And I'm like, wow, if this person was able to live through all that and still turn out this way, or, you know, they overcame what? Just having that collection of awareness in your story of like that there's actual examples of these kinds of people that are living and breathing around us and thriving, then maybe it's possible for me or maybe it's possible for this person that I'm concerned about because they're going through a really hard time. Like there's something that Julie said, it's resonated really strongly with me and that is that we should never pity people because when we pity them, we kind of put them in a box. Like it's like we don't believe that they're able to overcome wherever, whatever state that they're in. And that's not really fair. Like who are you to to pity me because you think that I can't get past this? You know, you always want to hold kind of like a greater vision for somebody that anything is possible for them, anything, because we don't understand like, all the energy and the different elements that are in the world and the power of God or anything like that. And so I think just sharing more of that and having more of that in our awareness as opposed to what we're spoon-fed every single day on news and so like the media alone, especially in this country, I think just moving away from that and the moving towards like real news, which is this incredible person's life you just touched upon today, I think those little things are really big things and will take us towards having more peace in the world. Season two. Season two. <laughs> I wish you both luck. Thank you, Sam. And thank you for joining us. Melody, Julie, thank you both. Thank you, Sam. Thank you for joining us. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you do your podcasting and share this with a friend. Thank you for joining us. See you next time.